Welcome to the Remote CEO Show. My name is De Niro Bartolini, AKA De Niro B. I'm an acclaimed business coach and my moonshot is to change the face of work and business forever. With each episode, we bring you some of the most inspiring and insightful interviews with six, seven, eight, and nine figure entrepreneurs to crack the code on how to build your remote empire and have fun while doing it. Thanks for stopping by and let's get started. What's going on, CEOs? Daniel will be here with another episode of the Remote CEO Show. Today I'm here with Liam Martin. Liam is the co-founder and chief innovation officer at Time Doctor. They're pioneers cutting-edge workforce management tools to enhance remote employee productivity. He co-organizes the annual Running Remote Conference and co-authored the best-selling book, Running Remote, advocating for collaborative and agile remote-first organizations. I'm very excited for this chat, so let's get right into it. Liam, welcome to the Remote CEO Show. How are you doing today? I'm doing a solid 6 to 7 out of 10. Hopefully after this podcast, I'm about an 8 or a 9. That is fantastic. Um, Liam, I ask every single one of my guests to tell us a bit more about themselves. So what made you become an entrepreneur, Liam? Well, that started a very long time ago. I actually was an entrepreneur my entire life. I think the story of my 20s was really, really coming out of the closet as an entrepreneur. I ran multiple businesses throughout high school and university, ended up actually selling my biggest business to go into grad school where I followed up on a PhD in sociology. And I remember actually going into my first ever class that I taught because most people don't know that in graduate school, most of your first and second year courses aren't taught by professors, they're taught by graduate students. And I started off with 300 students, ended the semester with less than half of those. And the worst academic reviews in the history of the department. And the department had been running for 186 years, I believe. So it was a very, very bad. I remember walking into my supervisor's office and I said, I don't think I'm very good at this. And he said, no, you're not. And I said, so what do you think I should do? And he said, well, you got to get pretty good at this teaching thing if you want to really do academia long-term. So either get better at that or figure something else to do. Six weeks later, I threw a master's thesis under his door. I was out into the real world and then actually got right back into business and realized that entrepreneurship for me, it's not a choice. It's just the only thing that I can do because I've been fired or quit from almost every other job I've taken on because it's just very difficult for me to be able to adapt to other people's ways of working. I have to have my own way of working. That's 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 a very interesting story, first off, about the academia. I find it very funny that uh, that he confirmed <laughs> your your suspicion of you not being good at teaching, and he said, "Yes, <laughs> you're not good." Um, but well, I'm big on radical candor, to be honest with you. And as much as I can possibly get, I try to get the real feedback from people. Do you think I'm bad at this? Let me know because if I respect you, then I'll take that feedback and I'll try to get better at it. Or how to do something else. I think that a lot of the world now, we're just not confronted with that reality. We're, 
were scared about hurting people's feelings when in reality, he wasn't hurting my feelings at all. What he was doing is he was confirming that what I was doing was not the right path. Yeah, 100%. And so this took you back into entrepreneurship. And I want to fast forward to Time Doctor and what you guys are doing right now. So Time Doctor, for our listeners that may not know what it is, is a time tracking tool. I'm going to obviously have you talk about that. Um, but what is very exciting is that here on this podcast, we can kind of talk about the two things. First off, how you build your team in a remote fashion and maybe some best practices on how you run your remote team and how you hired your first hires. But then also one big thing is how can you bring a tool like a time tracking tool in a business and do it in a way where you're not going to meet a lot of resistance from your staff members. Maybe they were already even there before the time tracking tool got introduced. So the first part of the questions, let's break this down into two, 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 two sides of the podcast. So the first side, I want to talk about your team. So take us back to when you had a smaller team and you were making your hires. Um, what was it, the order that you decided to delegate the work in and did that work? Boy, uh, well, it didn't really work, to be honest with you. We started the company back in 2012. So we've been running Time Doctor for a very long time in, com in comparison to the other companies that we run, which are relatively newer. And at the very beginning, it was, I mean, SaaS was a very, very small business. And that's software as a service. So... What Time Doctor is, it's a software as a service business, meaning you pay us a monthly amount of money for the software every single month, as opposed to paying a lot of money up front. Uh, and so it's very slow to start those businesses, but once they actually get back up, get up and running, they're kind of like a snowball because you have referrals with about 67% of our customers right now are through referrals. So it's really just making sure that all of our customers are really happy with the product and we continue to grow. And for us at that point, it was really without that referral engine, it was a lot of hard work. It was a lot of bad engineers trying to hire people in countries that we probably shouldn't have started to hire in. We are located in 48 different countries right now. And there are a lot of countries actually that we purposely don't hire in now because we've had such horrible experiences in those particular locations. Um, Outside of that, it was just like a lot of grinding. You know, I was responsible for the commercial side, the very beginning of the business, and my my co-founder was the CEO. Was more the technical and operations side. So it was a lot of blog posts. It was a lot of podcasts. It was a lot of um, we don't have any money, so therefore we're going to try to do it on as huge string of budget as humanly possible. But it's just to get to that snowball moment. It's just to get to those referrals and try to get them building themselves up. Because once you have those referrals running, that just takes off. And it makes sense. So giving some advice to our listeners at home that are building possibly even a SaaS right now, but even a consulting firm or any other type of business in a remote fashion, if there could be, and I don't think there is kind of a formula, but if we could kind of encapsulate your bad experiences and things that didn't work and kind of give us a couple of tips on how to organize their first hires, what would those couple of tips be? 
Well, for a SaaS business, I would say it depends on your budget, but first thing you need to hire is engineers. So SaaS product SaaS companies are product-based businesses. So you need to be able to make sure that the product is good. If the product isn't good, you're not actually going to make any money. It doesn't matter how much marketing you have. I have an old saying, which is there's a difference between selling something to somebody and then buying it. And you want people to buy their things. You don't want to sell them things because that's just a matter of time before they say, oh, this thing actually sucks. Liam was just good at selling me. That's very important. Once you've built that product and you know that it works and really the definition of working is if you put a hundred customers into that product, how many dividends of customers do you get off of those hundred? How many of those customers refer other customers? That is the only metric that you need to look at for basically, I would say, any SaaS business today, to be honest with you, probably any business. When I think about it, it just has such a good feedback loop in SaaS businesses because then they end up referring customers that then are on a monthly subscription and then they end up sending you more customers that are on a monthly subscription. So measure that number. I would probably say for every 100 customers, if you can have 20 referrals, meaning you have 20 new active customers from those initial 100, then you have something really special. And that's where you just kind of keep on grinding inside of building up that initial customer cohort. So getting your 100 customers, getting 200 customers, getting 500, getting 1,000, and continuously having at least that referral rate. A lot of people don't actually measure that referral rate long-term. They just look at it statically. We look at it every month as an example. Where are our sources of customers coming from? And as I said before, ours is about 67%. Once you get past 50%, the machine kind of takes over. And it's just based off referrals and new customers coming in. But to get to that point probably takes five to six years of just really hard slog to be able to get to a feedback loop where the product is at the level that everyone just trusts it. And you're getting a large swath of customers that are really excited about sharing your product with other people. Makes sense. And so engineers are the first kind of step. Like you said, if the product is not good, this machine is not going to take off, uh, even if you have amazing marketing. And so now that we're taking care about the product, so the second step would that be BDRs, account executives, someone that does the prospecting, the selling, the booking for calls or or like someone that does. So it depends on which direction you want to go. There's two major directions, product-led and sales-led. And we were product-led until 2018. And product-led basically means the product is the salesperson. So you sign up for a 14-day trial. Do you like it? Do you not like it? Cool buy the full product or don't, but there's no human being involved in that process. And I would probably say any SaaS product that costs under $1,000 per month is probably a product that should be product-led, meaning salespeople are too expensive to inject inside of that process in order to be able to make it work. So if your average revenue per year is less than $10,000, then I would not put a salesperson on it. If it's more than $10,000, then I would start. But you have to really figure out, you're doing $100,000 per year actually. And as a counterpoint, probably everything should be sales-led because no one's going to buy $100,000 plus worth of software 
without actually talking to the salesperson. There's a process that's involved in that. They have to be sold. And so we evolve from a product-led to a hybrid model. So now we have customers like, uh, well, we have multi-million dollar per year customers that run very, very large companies. And some of them actually went in through a product-led funnel at the very beginning. But now we have customer support agents, we have CS reps, we have salespeople that all help them. And then for new business, obviously, if you want to be able to go outbound and go get those customers, you need a sales team in order to be able to do that. It makes sense. And so again, even if the price per per unit per per like uh, seat is is small, but if you if you're going and targeting big businesses that need 500 or like a thousand seats, that obviously mm-hmm. makes sense for for you to to have a salesperson to to have those conversations. Um, and try- Absolutely. You- you need salespeople if it's more than 100,000 ARR, which is annual recurring revenue. You will not be able to build a business if that's your target without salespeople. But if you have a business that's under 10,000 ARR, it's actually much better to not have any salespeople. And so we started in that direction in the beginning, and it was really easy for us because you just you have leads that come into the top of the funnel, and then money comes out the end. And you don't have to deal with the human dynamics of it. But as we move up market, it is absolutely critical for us to be able to bring in those larger customers. And we didn't realize fast enough that companies like um, 3M, as an example, cannot be sold by a website. You actually have to have a salesperson. Yes, 100%. And this makes so much sense from a, not only a financial point of view, but also like a, like you said, a human dynamic. Someone needs to be there to answer those questions. People don't want to just scroll through an infinite like landing page that never ends with a bunch of buttons, purchase, 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 purchase. <laughs> I keep telling people in the age of AI that we're now entering, the last job, tech job to be, be replaced by artificial intelligence, my counterintuitive perspective is salespeople. It doesn't matter how intelligent an AI salesperson is. There's a certain type of customer that will only be sold by a human being. And I think that it will be 2040 and we'll still see salespeople um, trying to uh, make sales and will be making sales better than any type of AI sales bot that you can think of today. 100%. So I want to switch gears. Like I said, now let's talk about time tracking. This is not something I do a lot when I interview business owners to actually talk about the product because we generally, like I said, before we press the record button, we like to keep these conversations about managing a remote team and many other businesses are kind of out of that realm, but yours, it literally is exactly a tool that is used. And so I do right. want to take the conversation there right now with you. And I want to kind of address kind of the elephant in the room when I've heard in the past many people saying, you know, I don't want to be the business owner or the manager that is kind of tracking down their, you know, like mouse movements to the second. But in reality, it's also true that when you're scaling up a team and you want to be fair to everyone and you want to make sure that you understand where the system is lacking. Tools like yours are not only useful, but also indispensable. 
And so to keep the morale high and to keep everybody on the same page, what do you find is the best way to introduce a time tracking tool in a business? And how would you do it if there's already existing team members that have been there before the time tracking was introduced? So I think the biggest thing is to be able to show the workers that this is not just an accountability tool from the employer to the employee. This is also an accountability tool from the employee to the employer, meaning there's a lot of people, particularly people that work remote, that work their asses off and no one knows it. No one knows that that person is putting in those 170 hours a month as an example. But when you quantify everything, and one thing that I found in almost all successful remote businesses is quantification. So what are the actual quantifiable results, the outcomes that are produced from the activities that you have inside of the organization? The people that can measure that precisely end up succeeding and the ones that don't, don't. And so Time Doctor is a perfect tool to be able to quantify not just your time, but how productive you were with that time. What kind of outcomes did you produce? I'm working on a new website right now and I'm deep in the kind of persona stage of building out a customer persona for the product. Very creative work, very fun work. But even with that, I've actually identified, and I was looking at this right before I jumped into your call, I spent 26 hours and 32 minutes on building the persona. And so I can quantify that in terms of my outcomes that I need to be able to produce. Even this podcast, as an example, I do about three to four of these per week. We can identify the URL that we generate off of this activity, the person that works with me to be able to book these, the um, traffic that we generate from it, the leads that we generate from it. So it's all quantifiable to be able to figure out, is it worth my time to be able to sit down and do podcasts all week? Or should I be spending more time on building uh, website personas, <laughs> customer personas? Where should I be deploying my time and how effectively should I be deploying my time is absolutely critical. And Time Doctor solves that. So when you implement that inside of a business, the biggest part that we see is we see about 95% of people have no problem with it whatsoever. And they're really excited to be able to use it because they actually get the metrics that they're looking for. And things like figuring out, hey, you know what? You're working past 5 p.m. on a Friday and we've identified that that increases your burnout stress by 53%, go home or stop working. Um, that's something that's built directly inside of Time Doctor because we can see that type of quantifiable data. But more importantly, you get that 95% that are really excited about it. Then you have 5% that aren't excited about it. And they're saying, hey, this is something that I don't necessarily feel very comfortable about. And what we will usually do is, and we have customer service agents that can help you with this, is we'll provide a campaign where we can show you, here's how the data is collected to every single employee inside of the company. When you turn it on, it's tracking. When you turn it off, it's not tracking. So it's just very clear identifying how the actual application works. And then out of that 5%, about 50% of them are, are, are saying, thank God I know how it works. Cool. And then there's about 2.5% that are still not excited. And those generally, um, and I don't want to kind of paint a brush for all of them, but I would say the vast majority are the people that weren't actually doing anything inside of your organization. And they're the people that you need to be able to pay attention to the most because they're probably people that have been getting away with 
doing quiet quitting or working five or six jobs as an example at the same time. And that's something that you need to be able to measure inside of your business. As I said before, it's a very, very small percentage of the overall employees that work inside of the company. But those types of employees spread like cancer throughout the organization and need to stem those employees as quickly as possible. I think another term that I've used in the past to be kind of um, politically correct, so to speak, is these are people that are working remotely for the wrong reasons because they can't. Yes. <laughs> they, 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 they don't like only the flexibility, but they like their non-accountability. And like you said, maybe they're great at a, at a desk job when their manager is right there in front of them. But they should probably not be working in in uh, in their own home or somewhere else when they can't be where they can't be held accountable a hundred percent. And one of our core tenants is that we have this philosophy: don't ask me what to do, tell me what you did. Yes. And if you're asking me what to do, you're not the right person for the job, at least for our culture. So we have very clear cultural documents that allow us to be able to figure out the right type of people to hire. And I think this is actually extrapolated towards all remote work. Remote work is actually a self-discipline practice, number one, of can I put in the time to be able to execute on what I need to execute on? And do I need constant reassurance or direction from my direct reports or do I not? If you don't need direction, remote work is perfect. Go ahead, do your best work. If you're someone that constantly needs help on trying to figure out what to do next, Remote work is probably not for you and you should work in an office. 100%. And so it's a great point that you brought this up. I have, uh, at the first impact, I, I agree with you, but then I, I'm I'm thinking about two follow-up questions that people at home could ask. So we are obviously talking about someone that's already been trained on the role, right? Like once you onboard someone, there's going to be some level of training on what the job entails and everything else. So by the time that person is trained, that's when you say, you should know what to do and 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 if you don't have anything on your plate right now you probably should look for someone else to do instead of instead of assuming that 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 is it for you today let's say is that correct meaning like uh, someone gets trained after they got trained they should you should expect them to know what to do at all times generally we have a lot of process documents inside of the organization so we have a philosophy, which is the platform should be the manager, not an individual. And so what we'll usually tell someone is your manager's here to help, yeah. but the actual teaching of that information is in our process documentation. Go, f And that's actually one of the biggest first tests <laughs> is can they teach themselves how to do this? Are they self-starters or are they not? And if they are, then usually we have a lot more success with them long-term because they're actually just help operational and actualize. Um, and if they're not, if they're having a lot of difficulty, then it's usually someone that we we look at whether or not we should continue on with that engagement. That's fantastic. Awesome. Listen, Liam, I have a question regarding possibly your personal brand or your business. Is there anything exciting coming down the pike that you want to share with our audience that, uh, that you're working on? I wish I could. I, you know, when you asked me that question beforehand, there's some really exciting stuff coming down the pipe, but I can't talk about it, but I can give you at least a couple kind of sneak peeks, I guess. So we're doing a lot with artificial intelligence inside of 
our company, and we have the largest second-by-second work database on the planet. So we're really now focusing in on outcome-based activities. So what does, if you could identify as an example, whether or not a salesperson, let's say one salesperson works 80 hours a week, and then another person works 20 hours per week, but the 20 hour per week salesperson closes as many deals as the 80 hour per week person, we'll be able to figure out why and then teach the 80 hour per work person how to do that very, very clearly and specifically. So those are the types of things that we're doing with artificial intelligence, which I'm quite excited about. If you're interested, just sign up for Time Doctor and uh, it will be coming out in the next couple months. That's that's fantastic. And I want to actually like go like go back and rewind for a second about time tracking that it's not only about when did they start, when did they finish their day, it's about how they're employing their day, how they're employing their, their time throughout the day to do the right things. And so that's the exciting thing. It's not only about checking out if they're moving their mouse is what are they outcome? Yes. Yes. So how could I actually, I am big on the saying, if you're doing as many sales in 20 hours as someone else that's working 80 hours and you're killing it at your job, great. <laughs> I'm really excited for you. I'd love to learn how to do it so I could tell other people in the company how to be able to be that good at their jobs. But I love looking at productivity and performance and then trying to figure out how I can get other people to that level. And I think that we are so focused on how long someone works. And this really comes from an office-based mindset. It's not how long you work. It's what you did while you were working that is important. And so being able to quantify that is so important because number one, it shows the value of you as an individual contributor inside of the organization. But more importantly, you can actually take that information and you can tell other people how to do it too, which is the bigger, exciting part that we're just entering in the age of AI. That is fantastic. Again, Liam, it was a great conversation. I'm sure that my listeners will want to know more about you and your product. So where can people find you online? Timedoctor.com. You can sign up for a trial there. And if you're interested in hanging out with me, uh, Running Remote, which is our conference that we run every single year, largest conference on remote work. And other than that, hit me up on Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, all of those socials. <laughs> I'll be on them all. Um, and that generally I'll be able to respond to you within uh, a couple of days. That is fantastic. Liam, again, thank you so much for being at the Remote CEO Show. I'm looking forward to having you back in the future when these AI features and all these new tools come up. And in the meantime, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for having me. And this is it for today's CEOs. Thanks for staying with us until the end. Can I ask you a big favor? Can you please leave a review? I know the podcast app is not super straightforward. So if you don't know how to leave a review, just DM me on Instagram at denierob, D-E-N-I-E-R-O-B. And I will send you the direct link to the review section. And to show you my appreciation, I will answer any business question you ask me during that conversation. So thank you again. And I will talk to you again soon.